Welcome to So Many Bits. I'm your host, Bill Nielsen, and joining me once again from this palatial VoIP line in the middle of the internet is Cliff Murphy. Cliff, how are you? Good, good. How you doing, Bill? Oh, you know, hanging in there, hanging in there. Uh, or should I call you Kip now? Well, you can call me Kip if you'd like. That's what a bunch of other friends of mine started calling me, because I guess uh, Cliff can get shortened to Kip. So it's kind of what I do on for video games that ends up being what my character is um but uh i'll leave that entirely up to you you could feel it out see how you like it and then we can go from there it's certainly your call i i don't want to uh misname you here because from a guy who's been called billy billiam willie nelson i i am a little maybe overly sensitive about people calling me bill because that's what i prefer to be called Sure. So uh, I, I can go with whatever name you prefer. All right. You, you just stick with Cliff. Then. We'll, we'll go with that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I just I missed some memo. It's like, hey, folks, going forward, we're all going to call Cliff Kip. And, uh, <laughs> you know, if you want to make an acronym out of it, you can be like, knowing is pleasant. And then when you see Cliff, you say, knowing is pleasant, and you call him Kip instead. <laughs> That's, um, it's, to me, it doesn't sound like you missed the memo at all. It seems like you got all the important information out of that. I'm impressed that I guessed the acronym. I, I assumed there was an acronym involved. I, I just didn't know if I had the, the words exactly correct, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, you, you figured it out. You're a smart guy, and now we all have the evidence to show that. Aw, thank you. So later on in this episode, Cliff, uh, I'm going to be talking with Ben and Tyler over at Bomb Shelter Games. Ben and his team are currently at work on the game Depths of Sanity, an underwater horde-themed Metroidvania. But first, you and I have to do some screen watching. I was outside watching some dear frolic. You don't even care about the outside, do you? Oh, very good. Very excited for this. I picked the series we were going to check in on, but you were... Definitely, you sounded pretty jazzed when I mentioned it. We are talking this week about Mission Hill. One, two, three, four. Yeah, real super glad that you that you mentioned this uh, because I'm a fan of the guys who I think wrote and produced it. Uh, Bill Oakley, Josh Weinstein. They've done a whole bunch of different other stuff. They were on The Simpsons. They did some stuff with Futrama, of course, and, you know, a, b- a bunch of other different stuff. But uh, this series, Mission Hill, very short-lived, one season, very poorly received at the time that it was out, and canceled, I think, several times. <laughs> if, if, if I remember correctly, there were a couple of episodes that were aired on one network. It was canceled. Another network tried to air it for four episodes or so. Canceled there. Another station picked it up and aired the rest of the episodes something along those lines is very tumultuous underappreciated i i really enjoy the show so i was really glad when you picked it i think it was originally at least in the u.s on the wb network and it aired twice and then it was never aired again after that that's 
such such a shame. I just I I like that show a lot. <laughs> Me too. I, I don't know. I'm guessing that we both found it through uh, the Adult Swim block on Cartoon Network. I found it through the uh, Canadian equivalent of the Adult Swim block. So I believe is that at the time. <laughs> We fill you in on some of the details here. The cartoon station was called Teletoon, uh, which is an appropriately French-sounding name, and they had a Teletoon at night sort of thing. And Mission Hill was one of the shows that they had on in this block, alongside the Oblongs and Clone High and Undergrads was in there, and I think Home Movies was a part of it too. But yeah, it was mixed in with that whole group. Oh, okay, yeah. Then we had a, a slightly different mix, I think, because we had, yeah, Mission Hill, Oblongs, and Home Movies. We got Baby Blues, which is, I guess, an animated version of a uh, like comic strip that is in newspapers. Yeah, I remember watching that one. Yeah, based off of the comic strip, right? Uh, they had the, the parents, the daughter's name was Zoe. I remember Drew Carey did a voice in one episode, and he was driving a van. <laughs> That sounds like Drew, from yeah. what I know of Drew Carey personally. <laughs> he seems like the type of guy who would have a van. Yeah, like this must have been yeah 15 years ago when they were putting that stuff on. And at that point, they were just like, yeah, give us whatever. We'll take anything, put it on. Give us your tired, your poor, your <laughs> show is canceled after two episodes, and we'll air them. <laughs> give it all to us. I haven't watched recently, but I'm assuming now it's just like an hour-long block of Family Guy, an hour-long block of American Dad, and then uh, some... Like Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Maybe. Is Aqua Teen still on? I used to be really into Aqua Teen. You know, you're right. I think it has officially ended now. Okay. I, I, actually, I'm, I'm remembering now. They did like a final episode, and then they did one more episode after that. That was the actual final episode. <laughs> okay. Well, that, that sounds more or less what I would expect. Like the second to last episode is uh, like Frylock and... Master Shake, they both die, and Meatwad, you know, eventually grows up and marries and has a family, and it's like an epilogue of him going back to the house they rented and, like, checking it out. Then just the, the next week, they have one more episode, but everyone's back. They roll back the time. Everyone's still alive again. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. I seem to recall, like, a few different instances when different characters on there died in different circumstances. Carl especially, I feel like he he had a bunch of rough ends. I think, yeah, I think Carl did have a a bad go of it a few times there. Yeah, the one with uh, Tom Sharpling as like the the spider is, uh, he gets like his arms ripped off. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Mission Hill, though. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we got off track here. We're going to be talking about part of the episode Andy Joins the PTA, season one of one, episode eight. (laughs) Man, that's episode eight? Oh, that's crazy. I don't know if that's like the production order versus the like actual running order. That's what it says on IMDb. Interesting. I uh, Believe it or not, I have it on DVD, and it's the second episode on the DVD. Really? Okay. Yeah. Then I don't know what's what then. <laughs> that, <laughs> this is a very old-timey conversation we're having, because we're talking about a show that aired about 20 years ago, and I'm watching it on a DVD. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I, I just went on YouTube and, and apparently no one cares because you can just find the full episodes on YouTube. <laughs> it's not like, even worth the cost of hiring people to prosecute 
<laughs> None of that even like, you know how sometimes they'll do the evasion stuff where it's like a quarter of the screen is the actual thing you're watching and the other three quarters yep. are like camouflage. No, none of that. None no, of that. No. It's just that. <laughs> no one cares. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, the episode's called Andy Joins the PTA. If anybody hasn't seen the show, uh, first off, and if you can't tell from us talking about it, comes highly recommended. But the premise of the show basically is that Andy French is a young guy, mid-20s. He's living uh, in the city of Mission Hill. His parents are uh, moving away. They're moving to Wyoming. And uh, they ask, well, it's technically Kevin's idea, but they ask if uh, uh, Andy's younger brother, Kevin, can move in with him in the city. And that sort of starts the the premise of the television show is that uh, Kevin French, who's this like young, sort of very bright, but not at all, you know, experienced kid who's getting down to the city and living in the city. And uh, Andy lives in this huge, gorgeous looking apartment. Oh my God. Yeah, it is amazing. <laughs> with his two roommates, Jim and Posey and... The whole city that they're living in is so, you know, uh, I'm going to say bright and colorful in that there's a lot of interesting characters in there. And also the show has this really unique, like, neon sort of color palette, I guess is how I would describe it. So in any case, that's what's going on in the show. In this episode, specifically Andy joins the PTA, Kevin is now at this new school, and in an effort to show that he's like, a good older brother which is really just kind of like a ploy to try and sleep with one of kevin's teachers andy ends up joining the pta and ends up like organizing this school dance and doing some other stuff for the school (laughs) all the while trying to do a bunch of other things that sort of come together at the end but the important thing is the b plot for this episode is that kevin gets this new video game that he's really interested in and uh it's called Valkyrie, I believe is what it is. and Virtual Valkyrie. <laughs> even better. <laughs> if we didn't already know it was a computer game. Cliff, I have a question for you. Just if I can jump in. Uh, did you get gifts for having good grades when you were in school? I, oh God, I, if I did, I don't remember it. So no, I don't think I did. Did you? I feel like it's a thing that happened but I couldn't point to like a specific moment in time or like a gift I received. Like I'm sure, yeah, there was like something that I was gifted for it, but not like it wasn't a regular thing, which is implied that for Kevin, it's just like he gets a good grade and he gets a gift. Yeah. I don't remember that. I do remember, (laughs) I remember getting a lot of Beanie Babies, but I think I got those Beanie Babies almost at random intervals. I don't remember <laughs> what the situation was around that. Maybe it was school-related. Maybe it was... So I feel like I got one when I had my wisdom teeth out. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> so this makes... This makes if, if our parents were going out and buying things and they're like, oh, Bill and Cliff are doing so well and... You know, they're buying us presents. It makes us sound real unappreciative because it doesn't sound like either one of us can remember. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I was, I was a wiener kid. Whatever. <laughs> I, I'll cop to it. <laughs> but yeah, so Kevin gets his game for uh, having good grades. And uh, he spends the most of the episode trying to play this game. And it looks like it's 
like an uh, it's an online game that you play with friends and it also looks like it is i can't really tell if it's supposed to be like a text-based game because the two couple of things that kevin does in it or that you see him do he types the command in and so i can't i don't know if it's you know text-based or something like that or if it's like the isometric because it kind of looks like that too i i don't really know I don't know either. Yeah, it's it's a very, very primitive, massively multiplayer online game of some variety. Mm-hmm. And it's like medievally themed. Kevin and then like his other friends, Toby, they have like, you know, uh, stylized names that they've picked. <laughs> and they're running around. They run into a Norseman. They have to kill the Norseman. They have to make their fort and protect their fort. Yeah. It almost sounds like uh, like a modern survival type game where you have to, you know you know, forage through the land and, like, find supplies and then build up your own base that way. Mm-hmm. Something along those lines, I guess. It's It's got to have a lot of possibilities, though, because one of the things that Kevin does after uh, his friend, uh, you know, after Toby leaves their base unattended and they get attacked, Kevin types in... <laughs> sell toby when when this uh this slave trader comes by and so i i don't know what sort of game it is when you could just sell another player character into (laughs) slavery in the game (laughs) i i i have no idea but that's apparently one of the options that you can do in this game yes just like the general structure of things is kevin gets the game he like shows it to Jim, which was pretty funny where like Jim is like, I, I use that line of his where he's like, yes, my answer would have to be yes. I, I use that in casual conversation. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Kevin, you want to go up on the roof and get toasted? I'm not much of a toaster. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, is that a crime to offer drugs to a minor? I, I, like not. I, I have no idea. I, it's just so funny that Jim just doesn't care. <laughs> he doesn't win. Is Andy <laughs> here? No? You want to go? And then Kevin doesn't want to. And then in like one of the next scenes, he's on the roof with Posey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, Kevin, yeah, is going to play with uh, Toby and George. And so he and Toby start playing. Uh, at a later point, Toby is supposed to be guarding their fort, but falls asleep while playing the game. And their fort gets sacked. And so, as you mentioned, yeah, Kevin sells Toby into mm-hmm. slavery. Mm-hmm. Now, that, so I guess if Toby's playing it and his, you know, their fort or whatever that they're playing gets wrecked, that, I was like, okay, that that kind of makes sense. What stopped making sense to me or what I didn't understand about this is that it seemed like at any point, even if you're not playing the game, someone can come up and destroy the stuff that you've built. And I couldn't for the life of me think of a game in which it was like, yeah, you got to be paying attention because at any point, anyone at any time can destroy the stuff you've been building. I, I mean, I can't think of a single game when that's a possibility. And I really wanted to ask you about that. Can you think of anything that, like any sort of game, that would let you destroy other people's stuff when they're not actively playing? Well, I can think of one for sure, and that's Eve Online. Okay. Where uh, there are certain protections in place where, like, your character can be safe, 
and like some of your you know materials and and locations can be safe but other times yeah people can be attacking your bases in certain uh parts of the of the eve online galaxy like i think okay i'm pulling on some knowledge of a book i read like a year ago but there's like different levels of security in different areas of the galaxy so like in the place of where you start the game that's like maximum security like if anything you can't do anything or a mod will show up and like blow up your ship and then okay. on the whole other end of it there are areas called null sec for like null security or no security and you can do anything there oh. so if you want to have a certain kind of organization in the game you might need to operate in those regions and it might be very dangerous because people can come along and just blow up your stuff and there will even be certain large organizations that have a global presence so that they can have on a schedule people playing at different times all throughout the time zones shifting oh my god yeah yeah so like you'll have people that'll play for like eight hours and then they'll like hand it off to someone else playing eight hours so you can like guard your important facility where you're like building your awesome new capital ship wow that's that's crazy (laughs) eve online is kind of a crazy game and if you want to find out a little bit of like the history there are like different factions that have been in the game for like years and like player drama and institutional drama with like the people who make the game yeah, there's a book all about it called Empires of Eve, and it, it was really good. It was really cool to read about the, the sordid history of all these different people. I, it's the sort of thing that I would have absolutely no idea if this was going on, but it sounds like it'd be interesting to read about. I'd recommend it, yeah, yeah. And it sounds like, yeah, when they use it in the episode, that it's like a, a made-up conceit for the tension of the show mm-hmm. to have it where like you can be vulnerable if you're not at your computer. But no, that's a, like a real thing that can happen, so... I can imagine a high school student who is mad at you, who has a lot of time on their hands, would just be like, I'm going to sit at my computer, and if you ever leave your computer, I will kill your player character. Okay, yeah, all right. Well, I didn't believe it then, but I believe it now. (laughs) As Toby and Kevin are feuding, George is trying to play the game. (laughs) (laughs) He's trying to do it, right? And uh, he finally gets to the uh, intro screen, and then it crashes, and the computer spits the disc out. (laughs) If that were The Simpsons, then the disc would have caught on fire. But it's not (laughs) quite The Simpsons. That didn't happen. (laughs) It's not quite there. No. But yeah, I think it's... I mean, it's... uh, I, I can certainly... Despite the fact that maybe there's a few, like... You know, when I'm looking at it, I'm like, well, is that really going to happen? Is that possible? You know, is there a game like that? I think that the biggest thing that speaks to me there is that we've certainly had moments when you're out doing something, but all you can think about is wanting to get back and keep playing that game that you've been playing. And I think that that's the biggest idea there. That's the biggest truth, you know, at its core, uh, is that that's... That's what Kevin's all about in that episode. He just he wants to get back. He doesn't want to be at that dance. He wants to be back. He wants to be playing that game. That's the important stuff to him. And I can certainly, certainly identify with that. Absolutely, yeah. That's one thing where I uh, commute normally from my home to my office. And I'll play games on the, the train. Like on a Switch or on my phone or whatever. Mm-hmm. And 
sometimes it's like, oh, this is neat. It's just like a nice distraction from the train. But then also sometimes I'll be at my stop and it's like, oh, I don't really want to stop playing right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I'm here already. <laughs> so the, and then it's just like, yeah, I got to power it down or put it in sleep mode. And maybe I'll get a few minutes at lunch or maybe I'm going to the gym during lunch so I won't even have that time and then it's just like I gotta wait till the end of the day and like having like the switch or the, the DS or whatever like at your desk makes it even worse in a way. oh yeah oh absolutely <laughs> I remember years and years ago Penny Arcade uh, had a comic about Final Fantasy Tactics Advance and in in the comic Gabe is basically saying like you may be thinking is there any time during the day when I shouldn't be playing Final Fantasy Tactics Advance and the answer is no think about red lights those can last a long time that's two or three turns right there (laughs) (laughs) I would be yeah I would be into something that let like let you have micro breaks in the action to like play two or three games like that's like almost mapping directly to my experience with Fire Emblem Three Houses sometimes. <laughs> yep. Oh, I've got a five-minute break? Okay, well, I, I can spend it in the game. I get it, <laughs> I get it definitely. Towards the end of the episode, uh, Andy drags Kevin to this uh, dance that he'd been planning, and uh, Kevin notices that Toby's at the dance as well and has that realization, oh, Toby's here. That means his base is unprotected, so i got to get home and i got to destroy it. Of course, Toby notices Kevin noticing him, and then they both sort of race to get home, and you know they run into different stuff and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, Toby makes it home, Kevin doesn't, and all of Kevin's stuff gets destroyed. I think they had the show at the very end, like that one view of Toby's computer to confirm, like, yes, this is what happened. Mm-hmm. And like they yeah. get the moment of triumph with Toby where he's so excited that he like ends up almost choking on his own laughter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like there's some other stuff going on with Andy and like the the brotherly bond with him and Kevin, but who cares about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The it, it's such a funny thing when I watched this show when it was first on that like late night television block. I think I was in like grade ten, so I was like fifteen or sixteen or something. And when I was watching it, I identified mostly with Kevin because he was about the same age as me. And now. I'm in my 30s and I'm watching this and I'm like, oh yeah, Andy's the main character. Like clearly, <laughs> like this is all about Andy. <laughs> and I, I, for sure, you know, you can see everything from everybody's perspective. But uh, yeah, I was watching, you know, it's the show's about Andy and what's going on with Andy. And, you know, it's it's interesting how much that perspective has changed. I lived in Toronto for a couple of years too. And my experience in Toronto is now so like wonderfully represented in the show too just with all the like hip cool people and the like the club where there's you know they go to see a ska band i think this is in the first episode that's not in this episode and then like posy selling her organic vegetables and it just all these other just things that are just really representative i really didn't appreciate that show as much as i could have you know 20 years ago but now I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh man, it's just a beautiful little gem this show is. I think there was probably an appetite for it, but networks weren't into the idea of a show that wasn't about a family. Because like, hmm. you know, the template for pretty much every successful animated cartoon, this is not an original thought of mine, by the way, uh, is a family. 
So like you got the Simpsons, Family Guy, King of the Hill, the more, more modern. Now we have Bob's Burgers kind of carrying that torch still. It is kind of a family. Like there is certainly like this bond that all the roommates share. And of course there's Andy and Kevin, but it's not quite that dynamic. There's no like baby, basically. Everyone's a grown up. There's no baby. <laughs> like even, I mean, the youngest character on the show, Kevin, is like 17. And he yeah. has episodes where he is drinking and uh, masturbating. So, like, it's all, you know, mature uh, topics. Okay, so I could see how they uh, networks would just have no idea where to put the show or who to market the show to necessarily. Right, yeah. And I think now there is much more room for this kind of show, like just with what, you know, on Netflix or Hulu or all kinds of streaming services. It'll be able to find its, you know, niche uh, somewhere with a much broader audience. I mean, hypothetically, you know, if they wanted to make more, I don't know. I mean, if they could get all the people back together. If they could get know. all the people back together, it'd be awesome. And it, the the voice talent on there is real super good. The the interesting thing, the at least the thing that I think is most interesting, the guy who voices uh, Kevin, who's uh, I looked up his name earlier and I didn't write it down, so I don't have it in front of me. But the guy who voices <laughs> Kevin has done so much different voice work. If you look at his uh, his IMDb page, it's pages and pages and pages of all this voice work for all these different sorts of things, right? Like television shows and video games, like all sorts of different things. And the neat thing is that, at least for me, is that around the time I was watching this show, like I mentioned, I was in high school, I was also playing uh, Dark Cloud on the PS2. And then Dark Cloud 2 came out and Maximilian in Dark Cloud 2 is voiced by the guy who voices Kevin in Mission Hill. And I was just these two things that were right next to each other in my life. And I was like, oh, my God, that's the same guy. <laughs> so real interesting. Uh, I think that's just a, a fun little thing. I guess that's a very specific piece of trivia because you have to have watched this show and played this game, both of which are about 20 years old. But I think it's an interesting piece of trivia. You're right, it is. And in fact, I'm like just checking out his IMDb page right now and he's been the voice of Robin for like all the Teen Titans shows for the past 20 years as well. Cool. That's very cool. Yeah, yeah. And like he's yeah, he's been doing lots of lots of voice work all over the place since then. Like, yeah, you see that show, Mission Hill, has a lot of veteran voice talent. Like, you definitely, when the little kid is riding the bike, that is a Simpsons voice, right? Of course, yeah. that's Nancy Cartwright doing that voice. Yeah, because, oh, yeah. Uh, absolutely. So, like, you, you, you pick that out right away. And uh, yeah. I wanted to ask you, did you notice, there, you said, of course, there are many great voice actors, but there's one very prominent voice actor who has a very small role. I'll, I'll give you a hint. He shows up in the part where Andy is trying to set up the disco ball. Did you recognize the voice actor for one of the kids in that scene? Uh, no. Uh, I, I even, I forget what their, those characters' names are. But no, who does the voice? One of them is actually voiced by the same guy who does Kevin, but the other one <laughs> is Tom Kenny. Oh, like uh, SpongeBob SquarePants Tom Kenny. Yes, like SpongeBob SquarePants Tom Kenny. Oh, wow. Uh, that's very cool. If you go back and listen, I'm sure you'll you'll hear the nasally. It's not can, like full SpongeBob, but it's like fifty percent SpongeBob. I can even like picture it, and I can uh, I can even I can hear it in my head now that you mention it. Absolutely. So, was there anything else you wanted to cover with this episode? Because there was one other thing I wanted to tag on here before we moved on. No, 
I don't think so. What do you want to add? So there's one other tiny moment from another episode that I wanted to pull in here because it wouldn't be meaty enough to get its own segment. But in sure. episode 12, Happy Birthday, Kevin, they have a very uh, relatable moment in that where uh, they're celebrating Kevin's birthday. Yep. Everyone's giving him gifts. And Andy gets him the new video game called Demonoid, except <laughs> he actually messed up and he got the expansion pack for Demonoid. <laughs> yep, I do remember that. And they uh, they get him a cake that's shaped like a butt. <laughs> <laughs> when Andy's when Andy's buying it, he they ask him. They say, "Well, is uh, is he gay?" And Andy says, mm, "Undetermined." So he gets him a butt. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that's that's the only thing. That's the only other video game mention I can recall from any episode of Mission Hill. So I thought I'd toss it in here as well. Yeah, yeah, may as well. Yeah, that, you're right. That's not going to be a full episode there. But yeah, that's I I think it was uh, in in this episode. I think it uh, spoke to something very true. Certainly a feeling that uh, we've both experienced of just wanting to get home and keep playing that game. And the show is just great in general. And you know, well done. Well, you know, that sounds pretty positive, but of course, as part of screen watching, we do have to rate this on the uh, on the scales that we have in place, which are, of course, on a 6 to 10 rating of on course. Uh, accuracy, condescension, and entertainment. Okay. So first of all, Cliff, with 6 being completely inaccurate and 10 being lifelike accuracy, how would you rate the accuracy of Virtual Valkyrie in this Mission Hill episode? Uh... Before you told me about all that stuff about EVE Online, my main gripe with it was that I was like, mm, is that possible? Can you kill somebody if they're not actively playing the game? And it's probably, there's probably other games that you can do it past EVE Online. So I would have maybe knocked it a little bit for that. I do also recognize that's part of the point of the episode, and that's an important thing for the plot to happen. But in any case, now that you've told me about that, I think it's pretty good. I'd probably give it a... I'll say I'll give it a I'll give it a nine um, because you know they probably could have shown more about it or whatever. But yeah, I'd say nine. It would have been nice if they showed even more of the game in the episode. But what they did show, I'm going to give it a ten. Like I think they were very very relatable and not just like the game, but in how like you play those type of games. And like I definitely remember sitting and trying to be part of a LAN party for the original Left for Dead, and my wheezing old computer couldn't run Left for Dead, so I was like. Looks like fun, guys. I'm just going to try and keep uh, installing the game here. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Next up is condescension. Uh, so six being completely non-condescending and ten being completely extremely condescending. How would you rate this episode? Every every time we do this this second category here, I always think, oh, I think I feel like you got to switch those numbers around. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> but if you switch that around now... Everyone's going to get confused because they're going to look at the old episodes and say, well, I don't know what's going on now because they switched the rating system around. There might uh, be five or six listeners out there who would note that inconsistency and none of them would email <laughs> me or tweet me. But we're still going to stick with it. Damn it. You're going to stick with it. I don't think it's 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 condescending whatsoever. I don't think it's anything like that. Uh, you, you see things from Kevin's perspective and then you see things from Andy's perspective. I I. I don't think it's condescending whatsoever uh, because it's something that uh, Kevin values and it's something that's important to him and he's trying to play it with his friends and it's just all true and accurate and it's uh, funny. Uh, I don't think it's condescending whatsoever, so six. 
I'm going to split the difference and say an eight, partly on that same reasoning where it's like Andy and like, well, Jim is pretty open to it. Andy's pretty dismissive of the game. So for him, it's like full condescension. But then the other people like Jim and Kevin are like, no, this is a game. It's it's fun to play this game. So they're like a six. So we'll, we'll meet in the middle and call it an eight. Works for me. Lastly, on the entertainment scale, with six being completely unentertaining and 10 being maximally entertaining, how would you rate Andy Joins the PTA? The whole episode is just so... It's so great. The whole series is so great. I just I just love it. 10. I'm going to go with a 9 just because I, I didn't love quite as much the episodes where it's just like Andy is a complete scumbag, which is exactly what he is in this episode. Like, he's a complete creep. <laughs> yeah, in lots of different ways, isn't he? Sometimes it's just not as much fun to relate to that. Like, I like it a little more when he's just more uh, kicked around and more of an underdog. But, you know, it's still really funny. I still really liked it a lot, so I'll give it a 9. Works for me. And Cliff, I think with that, we will uh, take this episode to a break. And when we come back, I'll be talking with Bennett Tyler over at Bomb Shelter Games about Depths of Sanity. We are back from break. Joining me on this palatial VoIP line in the middle of the internet is Bennett Tyler. Bennett is one of the founders over at Bomb Shelter Games, and their upcoming title is Depths of Sanity, a Metroidvania set underwater with a tinge of horror to it. So first of all, Bennett, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's it's great to, well, I say be here. I was about to say be here, but it's great to talk to you, not, not be here. It's great to meet you over the internet again. If you prefer, you could say it's great to virtualize here. Virtualize. I like that. It's great to virtualize with you here. Happy virtualization with you as well. (laughs) And just with the start of the podcast, I usually like to ask the guest for maybe like a one to two minute introduction to their game, just in case anyone isn't already familiar. Excellent. Yeah, absolutely. The quickest and easiest way to describe it is Underwater Metroidvania. It's the the core concept behind it and really kind of the starting spot uh, we were at when we, we created the game. But uh, to expand on it a little bit more, it's, uh, it's narrative-driven. Um, it's got a bit of a horror element to it. You're going to go deeper and deeper into the ocean in the search of a crew that disappeared, trying to uncover what happened to them along the way, unlocking new upgrades for your ship, both weapons and gadgets, and uh, uncovering a mystery and watching the main character Abe's sanity slowly start to unravel. Nothing finer than an unravel insanity, if I do say so myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is featuring Captain Abe Douglas. And, you know, I imagine that game mechanics and gameplay are at the forefront of design. But, like, do you does the team have a conception of who Abe is as, as a person? How are they going to... Uh, react to the different things that they encounter throughout the game yeah that's that's a good question and um i'm realizing that let's see how much story are we divulging at this point yeah there's you do so there's there's a bit of a sort of bookend narrative you're going to get to know um abe as a character sort of like where he is um mentally plays a big role in this there there's another 
there's a whole cast of characters on the crew beforehand. Um, they were handpicked by Abe to go on um, the mission that they disappeared on. And that's why he sort of takes it upon himself to go and, and find them. Um, he sort of is going a little AWOL to do this, uh, taking a prototype submarine down um, by himself uh, to, to find this crew. So it is a bit self-motivated. He's he's a bit guilt-ridden with what he's sent these people um, to possibly their demise. Um, so you do get to know Abe a little bit as a character as as you play through it and his relationship with uh with the crew of the Baroness, which is the ship that disappears. Now one thing with the Metroidvanias that comes up is uh, you know, you're moving around into these different areas and like, you know, the the classic trope would be you see a high ledge and your character can't jump high enough to get there, so you know, okay, I'm going to find some kind of mobility aid throughout this world and I'll come back here and jump up. Now in Depths of Sanity, you are playing as Abe, but Abe is piloting a submarine. So has that changed how the, I guess, Metroidvania gating works at all? Fundamentally, like from top to bottom, absolutely. It's It was actually the first and primary design challenge of making the game. And honestly, one of the main reasons we wanted to do this, it's... As, as you said, you're you're piloting a submarine. It's not. Um, it, it's 360 degrees of motion. The the best comparison, honestly, might be asteroids or um, Galaxy is a more contemporary uh, version where you uh, you can move in any dire- direction at any point in time, which throws jumping straight out the window. There isn't a single jump in the game. So high jump, double jump, wall jump, space jump, useless. Uh, which is for us, it was a really cool way to sort of reimagine what a Metroidvania is to to us, um, you know, because it's not you can't just rely on those those same tropes. So we had to sort of break down. Well, how are we going to how are we going to impede your progress? Um, and some of the solutions we came up with are hard gates um, that you would find in a traditional Metroidvania. They're not based on jumping, for example, uh, currents. Uh, that push uh, that waters that moving too power powerfully for you to actually move through with your engines. Um, and there are a couple of different depending on how the currents are and their position. Different ways to navigate around them. Uh, sometimes with a gadget. Sometimes by circumventing through some other area. But also we tried to incorporate some soft gates as well because the. Metroidvania format, it's been around for so long. It's not to say it's tired. I would say it's actually um, it, it's better than it ever has been because people are exploring brand new ways to do it. And uh, But one of the concepts I think that is a little bit more tired in a Metroidvania is a hard gate. Um, now, I, the main developer who, who's done a lot of the, uh, the... Sorry, the main like designer who's done a lot of the level design, a lot of the encounter design was really blown away with Breath of the Wild and the way that it was sort of just open. You you, you beat that first area, and now it's like, well, you have everything you need. It, it threw the old school, like, you need the hookshot to get into the next area of Zelda straight out the window, and we sort of wanted... We, we were very inspired by that concept, so we do have some 
gates that are a little bit softer. I will say outright that, uh, so one of them is darkness. There are just some pitch black sections of the game that are pretty hard to navigate through, and we do have a couple of uh, gadgets that will help you navigate through them. But technically speaking, they're optional. If you want to just say, well, I'm just going to go for it and send it into the darkness with reckless abandon, there isn't a lot of, there's nothing physically stopping you from doing that, which is a little bit different from the traditional Metroidvania fare of like, no, this is a, you're not getting past here until you get the thing. <laughs> go get the thing and then come back. Now, there are some sections of the game where it is very much go get the thing and come back, or you have the thing come on through, but there are also a couple of places where it's like, hey, you know, if you want to brave the deep, be our guest. It's not going to be easy, but be our guest. It wouldn't be, strictly speaking, a form of gating, but in certain Metroidvanias, you'll have combat where, you know, maybe it could be too difficult for you if you're, you know, uh, not particularly well-versed with the controls or just, like, not grasping the timing of the attacks, etc. So then you can go off and level up your person. You can go and, you know, whip zombies for three hours and get up to level 30, and then you have a massive reservoir of HP to work with when you're trying that boss. Now with uh, Depths of Sanity, is there any kind of allowance for that, be it just like um, actual leveling system or maybe something a little uh, less encompassing, like just like extra health tanks or something like that? Yeah, so from an RPG sort of um, perspective, there isn't a like experience or, or leveling progression, anything like that. But there are uh, various ways to, to boost the, the viability of your ship. There are hull upgrades that will give you more armor. Enemies will do less damage to you that you can find. There are E-tanks, essentially, that will give you more health uh, so that you can survive fights for for longer but additionally there are a variety of weapons throughout the game that you'll unlock that have different properties that some of them you'll find are completely useless against some enemies but will absolutely shred through other enemies that might have given you a lot of trouble earlier in the game so it there is almost like a uh there's almost a rock paper scissors plus more element to the way combat will shake out where i'm excited to see and have tried myself like sometimes you're like i'm gonna do the purest run for this demo and i'm just gonna use the pea shooter the entire time and see how how well i can fare and some of the more nimble enemies can be really hard to hit with that but it's you know it's fun and can be a bit of a challenge to do it that way but sometimes it's a lot easier and a lot more satisfying to just whip out the weapon that you know is just gonna toast it and just just do it. Um, so while we're not going to have RPG elements throughout the, the progression, you'll find that you're not only getting more powerful, but if you're thinking about what you're doing and thinking about the approach to uh, certain situations, especially combat situations, that um, some of the weapons will make seemingly very difficult enemies actually quite easy uh, once you figure out the sort of trick to them. We talked a little bit about the, uh, the character, Abe, and the story. We talked a little bit about the the gameplay but we haven't really touched on the most important element i would say of depths of sanity and that is water with this game you're you're setting it in the ocean did you do research on like marine biology to get a sense of like what could exist at you know like eight thousand feet below the surface or was there more of like a rule of cool 
uh, application to it. You, you're kind of picking a scab for me right now. I, I spent uh, so <laughs> no 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 uh, like a little column A, a little column B. Um, we're not uh, adhering to any sort of strict any sort of strict actual like scientific. Uh, marine biology so if you are a marine biologist and you do play this game you will not it won't be uh it won't be scientifically accurate but i did try to make sure from an art standpoint that we were at the very least drawing inspiration from the actual uh the actual ocean um so i spent a lot of time um i i watched blue planet a couple of times they got a bunch of cool like deep sea stuff i've googled the heck out of the ocean which actually wrote a we wrote a blog post about recently turns out there's just a bunch of sand down there and not much else so, so there sand <laughs> so i hate sand it's coarse it gets in everything <laughs> It does. I I do too now. I I totally know where Anakin is coming from. It's the wet. It's wet sand, so it doesn't get as everywhere. But um, on the bottom of the ocean, apparently, it does. I digress. It, it but it is a little bit more of the as long as it's cool, it's in there. Um, a lot of the especially earlier stage enemies are um, are very much inspired from some of the creepiest um creatures that we could find at the bottom of the ocean sometimes we're taking a little bit of creative liberties finding like uh like goblin sharks or maybe some old you know long dead beast that's not alive anymore uh to give us a little bit uh of inspiration beyond just a couple of red lionfish and sharks and stuff like that which there are some in the game as well when it comes to some of the larger monsters too we uh we did borrow from um more fictional interpretations of the ocean that's something that's really cool about the ocean and something we sort of leaned into the more research we did was you know everybody we we've got these pictures of some of these creepy looking um creatures that are at the bottom of the ocean but you know what's really creepy is like the stories people tell when they stare into that dark abyss that is the ocean and they wonder what massive creatures could be down there a lot of different cultures and a lot of different stories have come up with a lot of different creepy beasts. Um, so it was kind of just trying to consume all of it and come up with some believable uh, creatures for the early game. And as you you get deeper and Abe starts to lose his grip on what is and isn't real you start to see that maybe, like, you know, we, we tried to create something a little bit less realistic and a little bit more, um, you know, just... We could we could take more creative liberties, I, I guess, is the better way to put it. <laughs> and, um, and with that, kind of mash together a bunch of different concepts to try to create something that is a little less than, like, if you're fighting sharks down... It's five or six levels deep in these crazy environments that are no longer sort of the real world anymore. You might see a shark, but it'd be a little bit more interesting if you were seeing something other than just a shark at, at that point. So I'm trying to, and it, I, I don't know if it sounds like, I'm trying to still keep a couple of things close to the vest. We do want to have uh, some twists and turns, especially when you get down there and uh, and Abe starts to lose it a little bit. But yes and no. We uh, 
We do have a couple of octopus and squid. We do have things that are more akin to, you know... Uh, well, the Leviathan was uh, was an earlier boss that we showed off at a um, at a convention previously. Things like that. So, little column A, little column B. I mean, I, I get it. Like, you don't want to disclose that eventually you go down deep enough and you find where all the dinosaurs went to and it becomes <laughs> more of like a caveman ninjas or Joe and Mac homage <laughs> in later levels. But, you know, uh, I, well, I'll just cut this part out. So don't, don't worry about that. <laughs> I mean, that's everything I said is is totally, totally shareable. Um, and, and part of, I think, the uh, the charm of it, there was an earlier version of the game um, very early on. We were just uh, boss six was some sort of elder god Cthulian, not necessarily Cthulhu, because that's a little bit on the nose and a little bit played out right now. Cthulhu feels like the new zombies um, sometimes, but. That is the sort of vibe that we went for that, like, we're not going to throw anything that could be at the bottom of the ocean off the table. And that's the problem about the ocean is it's massive and we've barely explored it. So there's not a lot of stuff that's off the table. Now, I'm sure with this game, you've you've taken plenty of time to research that stuff and uh, develop the gameplay and the level design. And I can tell that there, like a lot of effort and care has gone into it because this is not when we met at uh, PAX East 2020. That was not the first PAX you attended. That was uh, that would have been the 2018 PAX East, right? Yes, uh, for PAX Rising. That is correct. Um, and we had also brought the game to a couple of smaller um, conventions even before 2018. PAX Rising was actually a, a big. Um, step for us um it was kind of when we were like oh you know the the mechanics that we've been putting together uh the the things that we've been trying to refine they seem to be working because people are responding to it so yeah we uh we were at pax 2018 2019 and 2020 uh we had a lot of people play it at um at each of those and we got a lot of great feedback from everybody at each of those events which is excellent because we had basically we've been developing this sort of um for lack of a better term, crowdsourcing feedback as as we go. Um, we've been participating with a lot of cool indie uh, groups in our area, in, in Boston. Playcrafting and Boston Fig, um, to, to name a few. Bringing the game out, having people play it, letting us know what they think. Um, putting out, we had like a pre pre-alpha build back when the ship was just a single image that would spin around before we had momentum <laughs> um incorporated into it uh back when we were thinking it might be a twin stick shooter um really just kind of throwing everything against the wall to see what sticks because it felt like we were kind of trying to chart some some new territory pun sort of intended there when it comes to trying to figure out how to make this metroidvania without a jump mechanic it's it was a bit of a uh well okay that's that's a cool idea guys but what what does that even look like right what does that what does that feel like how does that play how do we figure this out so really just putting it in the hands of players like right away and being like hey play this game and just candidly what's wrong with it what don't you like and some people they they're it, thankfully, a lot of people, when when you ask them that, they're looking at you, they see you, and you're like, you're a fellow human, I'm not going to badmouth this project that you've clearly been working on for a little while in front of you. But some people, and 
we do appreciate it sometimes when it's not just outright mean, but some people, it's it's very, very helpful and refreshing when somebody just tells you straight up what is and isn't working about your game. You take what you, what, what makes sense, something you're not always going to take every piece of advice uh, to heart and make it a piece of your game, but it is great to have um, that feedback, especially early on. We weren't married to a lot of concepts, uh, so a lot of we we like to think, and we've gotten a lot of feedback that the game is very fun to play. Um, just inherently, it's it's great to watch people just kind of like mess around in the first section of the demo, just trying to get a feel for the controls, having some fun, floating around, um, doing all that stuff, and that is entirely out of watching people play the game, getting their feedback, seeing what they're doing, and making adjustments based on that. And um, by the time we had it at PAX East most recently, at 2020, uh, we had probably had our mechanics cemented for about two years. Um, we won a uh, an award for it, actually, at the Boston Festival of Indie Games back in 2018 for game mechanics. That was probably the go-ahead for us to be like, oh, okay, we should probably make the rest of the game because this tech demo is uh, it's polished, I guess, at this point. And what we had at, at, at PAX 2020 was... Um, was actually not very mechanically different from the uh, the game that we had at the previous two versions. Uh, we've just been doing a heck of a lot on the back end that not a lot of people have seen yet because um, it's the uh, the full game that that we're putting together based on those mechanics that um, that a lot of players that we've interacted with in the past have helped us figure out. So at this point, would you say that not literally speaking, the game is done, but like the end is in sight, light is at the end of the tunnel, you can see the surface, to use a more uh, appropriate <laughs> metaphor. I love the aquatic uh, The aquatic uh, puns, they're great. Yeah, um, from a mechanical standpoint, absolutely. Um, we're fairly done, uh, we're not, we're making very minor tweaks to like balance things at this point. There is, there's a lot of work to be done, we're a very small team, and we do a lot of this in our in our free time. A lot of us have full-time jobs and um the recent events in the world have not made any of what we're doing easier uh to be honest but all that said we are definitely i mean we're definitely closer to being complete than we've ever been before uh seems like a, a, a redundant and ridiculous statement but yeah, things are, are really starting to come together. Um, we actually, uh, at our last sprint meeting, we uh, we went over some of the sort of end game puzzles and content for some of the secrets uh, that will be throughout the game. So things, things are coming together. Uh, we're starting to have con- uh, conversations about, you know, not not making bosses or enemies or environments. We're talking about making cutscenes and story elements and things like that, getting into the polish aspects of it. Um, so yeah, the, the, there is a small light at the end of the tunnel. You can, you can see it, but we do have a long way to go and you never know when you get to that point and you're like, Oh, Oh, that's just a lamp. Okay. That, that's the light down there. We do still need to go through all of the testing, all of the porting and all that fun technical stuff that thankfully i as the artist don't have to worry about as much um but it is very real right. <laughs> portion of of making a game and especially when you don't have a big team uh something like that can throw a wrench in in the whole thing so while 
we're we're getting there um and things are are looking good and you can kind of see the finish line we're still cautiously optimistic uh the game's definitely coming out we're definitely uh like it's it is really cool to see all the pieces there um and now all the pieces are being put together but uh, there's i do have the worry that you know you get into the okay we're good we're 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 finished but finished and gold ready to launch they're two very different things so um so yeah it's uh it's a little little bit of both you alluded to this a little bit that you know obviously uh the COVID-19 crisis has complicated some matters of uh getting in collaborating with your fellow people on the project from bomb shelter now one thing you mentioned to me though at pax east is that you not only you know make this game together but you just game together and i was wondering if you still have had an opportunity to do that and just uh what what are you playing right now absolutely um which is great we uh we grew up together um a, a lot of us um so we actually do try to we we like have a weekly game night to try to keep ourselves um in touch which is great especially as uh we've we've started to to move further and further away from each other as a uh, as sort of life uh happens to everybody but yeah we do definitely play uh games all the time the uh we started playing they uh, the remaster of Halo 2 finally came out um, for the Master Chief Collection, and that's just been a gas to play on, on PC. Um, it's been, I, I can't even remember how long it's been since uh, I played Halo 2 um, up until we, we started playing again. And uh, it's just as fun as, as you might remember it. And even weirder now, they've added, like, races and stuff. Like, uh, we were doing some weird, huh. like, quasi-Mario Kart, but I was Master Chief on on a mongoose which was which was wild that terraria patch just added golf and we're gonna dive into that so it's really uh i it's actually kind of funny i don't think we have a uh we don't have an established game right now that we're playing and for for a while we we did we'd move on from one we'd play for like a month and a half or two depending on the game um but there isn't anything like right now that that we're kind of diving into as as a team which is a shame but it does give us plenty of time to kind of just like mess around with a bunch of different games to uh to try out which is always fun it's kind of been the same with uh my group of friends is like it's not been that we've stuck on one game, but we've bounced around a bunch to uh, several different games. And, you know, uh, it's mostly the stuff with crossplay that's held up because, you know, not all my friends are like power gamers who have like a PS4 and a Switch and a gaming PC. So it's like very useful when Rocket League is like, yeah, come bring whatever you want. We'll, we'll let you play with that. Yeah. Call of Duty Warzone has been pretty cool uh for that we don't really play it as a as a team but that i i've been playing that with a lot of my uh my other friends who are on playstation so i can play it on pc with them which is super cool but also like i don't know it feels feels kind of unfair sometimes like <laughs> i i don't know that that like pc is giving me an advantage but i can definitely like quickscope somebody a lot faster than somebody with a controller like it's it i i've always i'm very curious to see then then again you know i'm sure there's plenty of xbox players or playstation players who'd be like okay man 
<laughs> shut up, let's 1v1, and uh, I'll show you that you don't have an advantage at all. You're just some noob. And I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, that's fair, that's fair. Um, but You go die, <laughs> then I'll go die, and we'll meet in the gulag, and we'll see who's better there. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, it's... I... I've, I've Cross as somebody who's been playing games for, for his entire life, and uh, when online gaming came out, was like this is super cool, and and dove kind of headfirst into it. I I remember talking like speculating back in like you know the early tens or like right before you know like the late aughts where. We're like, isn't it, you know, it would be cool if one day I could play, you know, PlayStation against Xbox, but like, they're never going to let that happen. So it is really cool that that is starting to happen. And it's not just for like one game. It's a, it's sort of a growing trend and hopefully in the future is going to be pretty ubiquitous, uh, hopefully, because it just makes things a lot easier. You don't have to worry about somebody like, hey man, build a PC, play with me. Because I don't want to pay for Xbox Live. Uh, it's not really a thing anymore, which is, well, depending on the game. But it is, it, it's honestly pretty refreshing to just be able to just play with anybody. Because, like you said, not everybody plays the same way. Uh, in fact, it's funny, amongst the entire team, I think we all sort of have very different preferences in terms of the types of games we like to play. We've got crossover, of course, and those are the games we play together. But gaming is such a diverse landscape of what constitutes a video game that you could be like, oh, dude, I love video games. You could be like, yeah, me too. What games do you love? And then you could list off your top 50 and not a single similarity between the two and be like, Wait, I I've, haven't even heard of half of those can, it can sometimes be the case. So it's... It's great that if you do find two games that you... It's like, oh, no, we do have this game in common. Oh, you play it on a different platform? Okay, I guess I'll never play with you. Um, is no longer really an issue, depending on the game. Thank goodness, yeah. And I hope that barrier keeps getting knocked down further as we progress into the coming generation. Because there are, yeah, more, plenty more examples than just... Uh, Call of Duty and Rocket League, and I believe like Fortnite and Minecraft are like the big ones that have it. I think Apex Legends like... is now too, and I won't be surprised if like Overwatch pulls it off, um, either for the current one or for like Overwatch 2, or I'm putting my foot in my mouth because it already exists. Who knows? I haven't played that game in quite some time, but yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely coming. Yeah, yeah, hope and hopefully not just for like the titans of the right. the gaming right. world. So Bennett, uh, you you uh, you might be uh, prepared already. So I feel I feel hmm, feel uh, mixed about this, but you know I, I need to ask anyway. I need to know your take on this because we already back at PAX found out what Pokemon you would want to be. Oh yeah, and. Uh, I think we need to finish up the trifecta because this is a thing I do on the on these uh, full interviews is we have a, a battery of three Pokemon questions. So uh, we, we'll just say that you uh, would like to be a Charmander. Mm -hmm. But the other two questions are, if there was one Pokemon you could have as a pet and one Pokemon you could eat, what would they be? They probably shouldn't be the same one. Although, 
I mean, I, I guess that it, it all depends. Like, do people consider, like, cows and chickens pets? No, we have a dog and a chicken. The dog is a pet. I wouldn't really consider the chicken a pet. I... I, I, and I remember noticing that you did ask multiple different versions of that question at PAX uh, to, to different devs, and I, I did not prepare. I, I do not have an off-the-cuff answer. I, like, I'm trying to wonder if, like, because I, I don't know, like, would Oddish taste like a salad? Like, is would Oddish be like a vegetable, or do you think it'd be like a gamey sort of, like, I, I don't know how plant-type Pokemon work. Like, could you eat it raw? Could you just, like, bite out of it like an apple? Or, like, am am I touching on some very weird, morbid version of this question? Um, I mean, like, like a pet it's pet? It's tough, yeah. I, I feel like an Eevee would, might be the best pet just because, like, any other Pokemon feels dangerous to have in the house. Like, I, I you know, <laughs> Pikachu would be adorable, but, like... Dangerous, absolutely. I yeah. I don't need to be losing power all the time, like just just blowing out all of my circuits because because he's having a bad day or something like that. Eevee feels like you can't do a lot of harm. Very uh, very gentle would uh, curl up on the the end of the bed, um, fairly nicely without you know stabbing you if you tried to pet it or, or something like that by accident. So I would say Eevee would make a pretty good pet. And this is sort of this is just kind of an out of left field, I guess, but uh. Dragonite kind of popped into my head. I I don't know what a dragon tastes like, but like, uh, that's uh, that's why I'm even more curious about it. I, I might want to eat a dragonite. It would which would right. probably be hard, and honestly, would probably uh, I don't know that 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 feels like almost like an, e- eating an endangered animal. I feel like they're not common enough to be like, yeah, no, no, dude, eat a pidgey, like. Just fried up like a chicken. I'm spending way too. I have like I've listed off three poke. You know I'm not I'm not opposed to eating really any any Pokemon. I feel like that's that's a crazy statement to make. But um, <laughs> I, it's also I get the weird vibes from the Pokemon universe that there is that sort of like unspoken like yeah no we totally eat these things. It's I mean if we don't have any issue about making them fight in a pit so like what's the difference but yeah i i would right. be most you're, curious about a dragonite i think you're probably not supposed to think about it this hard no i mean that's what the creators would tell you not what i would tell you i would tell you to think about it very deeply yeah that's my problem is uh is i can't think about anything on the surface level as soon as i i say the first word that the first thing that comes out of my head and then i continue to just ramble and analyze it actively if you didn't notice by the way that i answered that question (laughs) unlike unlike the one i'm glad that you asked me the one you asked me at pax because i had that like i do know the answer to that one and he like honestly it would probably be a cool one to have as a pet a charmander that is but same issue with the pikachu compounded any of the Charmander, Charmeleon, Charizard family would make terrible pets because you just have an open flame in your house at all times. It's just dangerous. It kind of is, yeah. Yeah, or like you would need to build a separate biome for your Charmander with like very little uh, burnable material or like you'd have to like cover the trees in plastic or something so it doesn't, you know, burn its own habitat down. 
Yeah, if, if I lived out in the desert, maybe. But yeah, we're, I'm over in Massachusetts. It's uh, I mean, it's not too dry and flammable out here, but there's, there's plenty of stuff that uh, that his tail could light on fire. Not not the best uh, not the best decision. Unless you're gonna pair it with like a Squirtle, who's just gonna exclusively follow him around and put everything out. Well, on that note, uh, Bennett, I, I think uh, so. I thank you one more time for uh, coming on the podcast to talk about depths of sanity. If people want to get updates on the game or on just uh, bomb shelter games in general, where can they get them? Um, that is that is a great question, and I'm gonna sort of take the opportunity to uh, to not only can you follow us on on social media uh, like Twitter um, at bomb underscore shelter. Um, but also next month, um, we're actually going to have, if you haven't played the game at all and you've been remotely interested or you've played it before, um, and you want another chance or you just kind of want a sneak peek, um, Steam is doing a really cool, like online festival next month from the 9th to the 14th, um, which we're going to be participating in. So the demo, uh, that we had at PAX is actually going to be available during that window. You can do- download it directly from Steam, um, and you can play it at home, which will be really cool if you haven't gotten a chance to, or you did, and you really wanted to try it again. That'll be an opportunity to do that during that window. You can go um, to that Steam festival. There's also going to be all kinds of great other indie developers participating in the same thing. I think everybody's going to have a demo available. It's basically like they're trying to make up for the fact that conventions are sort of on hiatus until we figure out what's going on for the time being. So they're doing this uh, this digital festival uh, we're super excited to be a part of. And through that, there are actually a couple other things that we're doing. Um, they have like live streams and developer chats. So we're going to live stream a part of the game, hopefully, um, that nobody's seen yet before. So that'll be another really cool way to, uh, to get some up, like a direct update on the game. Um, we're going to do that on Thursday, June 11th at 9 PM Eastern time. Um, so we're going to, uh, play basically a big portion of the first world for about an hour and kind of talk about, um, a lot of what's going on for the game. So that'll be really exciting if you're interested um, at all about both the process of um, making a Metroidvania, making an indie game, or just kind of like this game in general. Um, that'll be really cool. And also, and this is where the actual answer to your question comes, <laughs> um, they, they're also doing like these developer chats and we're using that as an excuse to launch a Discord. We don't have it um, ready yet, but... Once that Steam Festival comes around, we are going to try to launch a Discord for Depths of Sanity that all of the developers, um, uh, all of us developers that are working on it will be um, a part of and available during like that time. We'll be like directly answering questions. It'll be like a scheduled time. Um, But after the festival wraps up, we're going to keep the server up and um, provide updates and uh, and hopefully interact with uh, with people who are interested in hearing about the game um, periodically. I, I mean, just not periodically throughout the entire development cycle of the game until it's completed. And then when it is done there as well. So uh, for now, it's it is just Twitter. Twitter is the best way to uh, to figure out what's going on with us at bomb underscore shelter again. Uh, but 
hopefully soon. And if you follow the Twitter, I'm sure we'll put this out on the Twitter as well. Um, hopefully a Discord server is coming along shortly. All right, fingers crossed. But until then, thank you very much. Hey, thank you. It was, uh, it was a pleasure talking to you. Um, thanks again. And we are back from break. One more big thank you to Bennett for his time. Just a quick note that the Steam Game Festival he mentioned originally is uh, delayed by one week. Uh, so originally it was set to run June 9th to June 14th. If you're listening to this as it goes live, it's actually been pushed back to June 16th through June 21st. Sorry, June 20th. So uh, keep an eye out for it. Cliff, before we go, uh, there's an old feature a uh, elapsed feature, if you will, that had been uh, kind of on the outs, but we're bringing it back for at least the time being, and that's Bill's Magic Minute. Oh, I'm so excited. I've set aside exactly one minute for you to talk about magic. All right, I'm pulling up my browser where I've already right. typed in Minute Timer. Uh, mm-hmm. So whenever you're ready, I'm ready. All right, before we do that, I've got to add the the luck of the draw here. I gotta roll this d20 I'm holding three times. Let's see here. 11, two, 14. So I'm gonna have a total of 27 seconds out of that minute to talk about my feelings regarding the uh, Ikoria companion mechanic. I, I was really hoping to get into it last magic minute, but I ran out of time. So I'm hoping this time I got better luck. Okay, so I'll write in 27. Okay, I'm I'm ready now. Okay. All right, count count me down. All right, three, two, one, go. I have to admit that playing around with the companions in Ikoria has been a lot of fun. It's inspired me to build new decks that I might not have otherwise tried, but it's just they're so dang good. Like if you're doing a draft, you have to have a very compelling reason not to first pick a companion and then contort your deck to build it because you're getting a free card every game. It's such a powerful ability that it lets you pass on otherwise very strong limited cards. Like I've done a draft. That's it. That's it. You're all done. All right. Yeah. Well, okay. I I, I thought I was getting up a good head of steam there, but you know, uh, that's just, it is what it is. It is what it is. <laughs> so Cliff, just uh, thank you so much for coming back on as always to talk about Mission Hill with me. We'll have to have you back on soon to talk about the games we've been playing lately uh, before we go this week though if you uh want people to find you anywhere uh online uh where can they find you i'm uh part of an improv group called moist theater you can find us online uh, facebook.com slash moist theater uh, is probably the easiest thing to do i'm on twitter at mr cliffo i don't really post anything on there though but yeah you can find us moist theater we uh we just recently uh uh, since we weren't able to uh, perform this month, we uh, posted a, uh, a show that we had recorded from a few years previous and put the whole thing up online. So if you'd like to see what we're all about, we just did that. It's up on YouTube, so you should be able to find it. Awesome. Everyone give that a, give that a viewing, please. And uh, as for us, we can be reached by email at so many bits podcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, we're so many bits on there. Follow us on Twitter and Tumblr at so many bits. 
Subscribe to us on iTunes. Please rate and review or download from Simplecast or stream via Spotify. We play games, twitch.tv slash so many bits, Wednesday and Thursday nights, 8 p.m. Central Time, though I have been sprinkling in some weekend streams there as well lately. And uh, you can also check out So Many Bits alongside a bunch of other great nerdy podcasts over on nerdalogs.com. And last but not least, thank you very much for listening. Have a great summer. Summer.